Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, ROC is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are tuned into our OITE slash our board review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we are just going to continue on with this train. You know, we are uh, we are on foot and ankle. We are going to continue foot and ankle. We hope that you all are enjoying our notes that go along with this podcast. And uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Dr. Woolwine, we are back again for some more, uh, some more ortho talk, some more OITE slash board reviews. So I'm looking forward to talking some foot and ankle. Yes, exactly. I mean, you just are uh, a foot and ankle patient yourself. And so uh, <laughs> I can't remember if we've already covered the whole Achilles thing, but once we get to it, you can at least uh, talk about it from a oh yeah patient perspective. I can give the personal, personal experience. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that'll be fun when we get to talking about some Achilles. Um, but nonetheless we can actually we can start off here which a lot of people have probably had this injury if they played any type of sports before in the past but uh, what is the most commonly injured ligament seen with ankle sprains that is going to be the atfl it is not a part of the syndesmosis which is the aitfl so it's going to be the atfl the uh, anterior uh, talo uh, fibular ligament um, and what is the typical treatment for acute ankle sprain? And again, this is going to be just, just mostly rice, you know, rest, ice, uh, compressive therapy and elevation. Then, you know, not all ankle sprains will need therapy, but if, you know, if it's not resolving with that, you can also send a physical therapy for functional rehabilitation as well as proprioceptive training. I think one of the buzzwords is like the proprioceptive training, uh, when you're kind of dealing with these ankle sprains and, uh, sending them to physical therapy. So you definitely want to make sure that they work on that. And so say, you know, we have one of our patients that had this ankle sprain, you know, you know, basketball player three months ago, and you send them to therapy, you, you know, you try to rise in therapy, and they're still having symptoms of their ankle giving way, and they just feel super unstable. What are some things that you should kind of be worried about and having your, or at least having your differential diagnosis when dealing with this patient? Uh, yeah, so a young athlete or even an adult athlete with a true ankle sprain of the ATFL, they should be back and pretty functional within several weeks of their injury, maybe with tape or an ankle brace. But if they're still three months out and having issues, then you need to evaluate them for ankle instability. They might have actually had a syndesmotic injury that was missed 
And so you would want to start off with some stress radiographs and some, some weight bearing radiographs to see is there widening of the syndesmosis or is there like tibio-talar tilt or something else that needs to be evaluated a bit further with a possible MRI once you get those stress radiographs. And uh, let's say that patient does come in, the stress radiographs are positive. Um, I mean, depending on the the portion of the ankle that's injured, what are some of the, the operative uh, treatment options for patients with ankle instability? Yeah, there are multiple, multiple, multiple techniques on different ways to do this that are out there. Uh, but we'll kind of just, I guess, group them into two broad categories. One is kind of the anatomic repair and the other is the non-anatomic repair. When you think of anatomic repair, one of the, uh, the commonly, um, the common operations is this kind of modified brostrum lateral ligament reconstruction, which you reinforce like the inferior retinaculum. So you'll do the reconstruction and then uh, you'll take the suture and suture the retinaculum to kind of reinforce that. And I have no better way to explain it, but you know, if you're listening to this, I would just Google like a modified brostrum lateral ligament reconstruction, uh, and you'll kind of see a little bit of what we're talking about. And that itself is 90 to 95% successful. And there are some other techniques for anatomic repairs uh, for ankle instability. And you also have the non-anatomic repairs. So, you know, this are, these are, there are many different procedures, but this is ones that kind of may sacrifice the perennial tendons. Um, like the Crisman snook procedure. And that's kind of where you have a, a, a split brevis graft and it's used to replace both the ATFL and the CFL. So you're using, again, some of the, uh, some of the perennial tendons to help get some of that ankle stability. And one other thing to note about ankle uh, instability in patients that have a cable varus foot um, that is, can be associated with ankle instability. And sometimes those patients may need some type of an osteotomy for the calcaneus or a Dwyer kind of closing wedge osteotomy. And we'll talk more again about, uh, about kind of deformity and cable bearers foot a little bit later in this talk, but just want to at least go ahead and, and let some people know or, and hear that, you know, these ankle sprains associated with the cable bearers foot. Sometimes you may need to actually uh, fix the deformity of the foot itself. Um, now, kind of just switching gears and talking a little bit about ankle arthroscopy, uh, what is this the most common complication seen with ankle arthroscopy? Uh, yeah, on test, it's going to show up as uh, some sort of neurological damage um, just because of the multiple separate arthroscopy sites. And it's, uh, we'll go over specific uh, portal sites and injuries uh, here in a bit, but um, when they when they're talking about ankle arthroscopy, whether it's you're actually in the OR with your attendings or on a uh, on a test, um, look for something that involves some sort of neurological injury and your ability to identify which portal goes with which nerve. So, uh, like uh, for example, with an anterolateral portal you're going to most likely injure the intermediate branch of the superficial perineal nerve. And uh, if you think about it, like when we're fixing ankle fractures, you identify the superficial peroneal nerve and how it drapes over that anterolateral ankle. Um, if you put a portal site right in that area, you do uh, run the risk of injuring it. Um, and then uh, another complication, not usually tested, but I guess they could throw it on there, is 
Uh, a synovial cutaneous fistula is also common. So uh, if you use like a big trocar or a big scope while you're uh, doing an ankle or you're passing instruments in and out of the ankle with a lot of force and you're really opening that um, that opening in the synovium, uh, it most likely won't scar down and you can create a synovial cutaneous fistula with chronic uh, septic joint, which is not uh, ideal by any means, but oh, no. um, uh, that's just, that's another injury that you can, or a complication with ankle arthroscopy. And so what about like a, a posterior lateral portal placement for ankle arthroscopy? What, what structures are at risk? Yeah. And that's going to, I mean, these, these placements, these, these portals, this is going to be kind of just right out the Achilles. And so if you just think of what structures are there, you could possibly injure the serial nerve, uh, or the lesser saphenous vein. So again, this portal is going to be between the Achilles tendon and the lateral malleolus. And yeah, just like you were saying, you know, with ankle arthroscopy, most common um, uh, uh, complication is going to be the superficial perineal nerve palsy. And <laughs> one of my, uh, our trauma attendants, he'll say, no matter what, he's like, even if you just look or just put one nick in the dorsum of a foot anywhere, the patient will complain of some type of uh, nerve uh, issue on the dorsum of the foot. So he was like, anytime you're doing anything around the dorsal aspect of the foot or around the ankle, you know, you got to let these patients know you're going to have some numbness or some neurological symptoms afterwards, uh, no matter how careful you are. Um, and so that's what the posterior lateral, again, the posterior lateral portal placement, you got to be worried about the serial nerve and the lesser saphenous vein. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, ROC covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to ROC content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Uh, now, continuing on on this kind of ankle arthroscopy type symptoms, uh, what are some symptoms or radiographic findings that you may see in, uh, in patients with anterior ankle impingement, as well as some treatment options for these patients? Uh, yeah, so there, and a lot of times these are uh, young patients that are going to come in with this anterior ankle impingement. They'll complain of anterior ankle pain and mostly with ankle range of motion. Like they'll be sitting there in the office talking to you and, and they won't have any symptoms. They'll be able to do most things uh, in their daily life without much symptoms but it's the, uh, when their ankle goes into dorsiflexion. So whenever they have to go into dorsiflexion, that's when they're going to get that anterior impingement. And that's when they're going to get that anterior pain. You're going to, uh, not see a lot on, on the AP x-ray, but on the lateral view, you'll see, uh, anterior distal tibia osteophytes and some dorsal talus, uh, spurring. You might even see kind of like a uh, like a divot taken out of the dorsal aspect of the tailored neck uh, as uh, chronically the, the tibia has just impinged on that talus and created a, a divot for itself. 
Um, most common treatment options are activity modification, uh, but if that is not effective, then you're going to go in for an arthroscopic uh, removal of the bone spurs and a synovectomy because they'll develop a lot of uh, high inflamed synovium and uh, uh, scar tissue up front. So you're going to relieve the scar tissue and then relieve uh, or take down any osteophytes that are going to cause that uh, uh, anterior impingement. And then uh, Differently, they're going to almost always present this as a 20-something-year-old ballerina. Uh, what are some of the symptoms, radiographic findings, and treatment options for patients with posterior ankle impingement? Yeah, so it's kind of almost just the opposite of what you're just talking about with anterior ankle impingement. So posterior ankle impingement, these patients are going to have pain in their ankle, but it's also going to be at the hind foot. So they're going to have hind foot pain. It's really going to bother them when they plantar flex a lot, just like you said, like a dancer who plantar flexes a lot. And some of the things that you may see on the x-rays, they may have an ostrigonum. And a lot of times, like, out, they'll just have this vignette, and there'll be a picture, which will be a lateral of the foot. And you'll see a little, little extra piece of bone right posterior to the talus. So that's that ostrigonum that you're, that you're looking for, especially when they tell you about, you know, these symptoms of posterior ankle impingement. Um, other things that could possibly be, they could possibly have a posterior Taylor process fracture that you may be able to see on a CT scan, as well as hypertrophy of the posterior Taylor process. And the treatment for these would be uh, arthroscopic resection, especially if it's an ostrigonum that you have. And one of the things that you need to note is you need to stay lateral to the FHL. Uh, tendon that you can see uh, in ankle arthroscopy. If you go medial to that, those are all the dangerous things are. Those are all the uh, your arteries and vessels are, your posterior tibial artery and vessels. So you want to stay lateral to that FHL tendon. So I, I think like with these foot and ankle questions, they're getting, uh, they're showing a lot of images and they want you to be able to realize and see things. So one thing I would do is just go and, and Google a picture of an ankle arthroscopy and, and just note like that muscle belly that you'll see distally, that would be the FHL. Um, so just kind of get your get a little bit familiar with some of these ankle pictures and how to interpret them, especially the ostrigonum on the lateral x-ray. And so what is the typical, I guess, location of a talus osteochondritis desiccans lesion due to trauma? So due to trauma, you're going to see an anterolateral uh, lesion uh, on the talus. Uh, and then the posterior medial ones are going to typically be the AVN type lesions. They may also be uh, due to like a, a congenital reason. Um, and, and one thing to note uh, with those, like you were talking about those images uh, with the arthroscopy, uh, I mean, that's, that's true for every joint. So like a knee arthroscopy, a shoulder arthroscopy, ankle, uh, a hip too for, I mean, we were at a program where we had a hip arthroscopist come when I was a more senior resident. So I didn't work with him that much, but um, look at pictures, look at videos of those, just so you can start to understand where structures are in relation to the others. And that will make answering these questions a lot easier uh, in the future, um, especially if you're if you're at a place that doesn't get a lot of ankle arthroscopy cases or a lot of uh, hip arthroscopy cases. And so once again, talus OCD, 
anterolateral is due to trauma, posterior medial is AVN and possibly congenital. And uh, let's say, so you have a, you have a patient with a OCD lesion diagnosed on MRI. What are some of the treatment options for these OCDs? Yeah, you know, and, and these are similar. I think we talked about some of the uh, th- some of these options when we did our sports talks, and we we're just talking about kind of cartilage restoration. But again, there's going to be a lot of these similar things. So to treat our OCD lesions of the talus, you can do a debridement with microfracture. Uh, it, it all depends on the size of the defect. So you got to know the size of the defect. So debridement with microfracture, you could also do retrograde drilling. If the lesions are large enough, you can do an oats or an osteochondral allograft or an autograft. Um, we had a, I forget what she was. She played a sport and she was a young, younger patient who had one of these um, that we actually did an oats procedure on as well. Um, and she had a pretty large lesion, but you know, oats is a, is another treatment option. The, 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 the de novo, which are kind of the juvenile um, uh, cartilage products. Those are, can be used in the ankle, uh, mosaic plastic as well. And with all these, sometimes getting a good orientation in order to get your graft uh, square and in place, sometimes you can use an a osteotomy of the media malleolus. So you take, you, know, you can imagine if you take the, if you uh, make an osteotomy in the malleolus that you can see a little bit better, um, but patients tend to have better results if you do not do a, a medium or osteotomy. So again, some treatment options for OCD lesions, debridement with microfracture, retrograde drilling. Uh, for larger lesions, you can do an osteochondral um, allograft or an autograft, the de novo as well as mosaic plasty. And the results are better when you do not do a medium or osteotomy. And one one quick thing for the, the difference of when you would do a debridement with microfracture, and a retrograde drilling is uh, on the MRI or even intraop because intraop you might get fooled if the cartilage cap is unstable, meaning you can fit your probe underneath the cartilage and flip it up so you see the subchondral bone. That's when you're going to do a debridement with microfracture. If the cartilage is intact while the underlying bone has undergone either an AVN or some other process, uh, that is when you can do the retrograde drilling. And so a lot of that is, is done during the procedure. You figure out, is that cartilage cap stable or unstable? If it's stable, retrograde drill it. If it's unstable, debride the cartilage around, get a nice smooth border and microfracture. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And those are some, some good gems again. And uh, this next question is kind of just <laughs> kind of a random question that seems out of place, but we'll just go ahead and, and ask and, and ask it and go forth. Um, but what are some intraoperative tests that can be used to assess syndesmotic stability? Uh, it's been a little bit since I have done these tests uh, or these sort of questions um, but I do believe the external rotation stress test is the gold standard, um, which is equivalent also to the gravity stress test. Yeah. Uh, but you usually don't do the gravity stress intraop. Uh, however, the I- external rotation stress test is uh, definitely one you will see and do. Um, 
You typically can only do these tests after the fibula is fixed, because if the fibula is not fixed, then they are going to be unstable through the fracture and not necessarily through the syndesmosis itself. Another one is the cotton test, uh, which is where you get a bone holding forcep uh, around the fibula and you just pull it out lateral. It's kind of not barbaric, but it's very like <laughs> me ortho, me fixed bone. I'm just going to grab the fibula <laughs> and try and pull it away from the tibia and see if it's unstable. Um, some people will also do the contest with a, uh, a bone hook and it does the same thing. Um, and then if you are very savvy, I think this is more the foot and ankle specialists that get uh, ankle fractures they will do an arthroscopic evaluation of the syndesmosis to look at the AITFL and PITFL to make sure that the syndesmosis is intact and be able to debride any uh, syndesmotic scar tissue at that time. Thank you all for listening to the, another episode of the Nailed Ortho Podcast. I hope you have hit the subscribe button. If you have not already, please go ahead and tell a colleague about this and we hope that you're enjoying these episodes and until next time.